The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Today, we are talking about autism, looking at it in a different way. It is a behavioral syndrome. And my guest is Dr. Barry Prezant one of the world's foremost autism experts. He presents a groundbreaking brand new book, which is called Uniquely Human, A Different Way of Seeing Autism, recently published. Dr. Barry Prezant, PhD, is among the world's leading authorities in autism with more than 40 years of experience as a scholar, researcher, and international consultant. He's an adjunct professor at Brown University and co-author of the CERTS model, a comprehensive educational approach. Welcome, Barry. Yeah, it's great to have you on. You know, your title, Uniquely Human, A Different Way of Seeing Autism. Why do we need a different way? Are parents and educators afraid of autism? Is that why we need a different way? Well, certainly the way that autism has been presented in the media, um, by some advocacy organizations as well, um, autism is presented primarily as a tragedy, um, mm. as a devastating disability for people who are affected as well as families. Now, I want to begin by saying there are certainly very significant challenges that go along with autism. Mm-hmm. But what I've discovered in my more than 40 years of experience is just to paint it as a tragedy and therefore, which very often pushes parents to extreme kinds of treatments, untested treatments, that that's not very helpful. And it's more productive to think about autism as understanding people who experience the world differently. And as a matter of fact, now that there are many people with autism who can share their experiences, that's what the majority of these people are saying. Please understand Mm. us. Please understand that, yes, we have challenges, but we are different, that we are not just tragic figures um, who are devastating to the family. How is this originated, Barry? Is it in the brain? Is it in the neurological system? A motor issue? What is it? Uh, Well, one of the things we definitely know is that autism has to do with neurological differences. Um, For many years, people have been looking for specific areas of brain damage, um, lesions in the brain, but that's not been found. But what has been found is that information is processed differently by the autistic brain than it is by so-called neurotypical brains. We have with us Dr. Barry Prezant, one of the world's leading foremost autism experts. His brand new groundbreaking book is Uniquely Human, 
a different way of seeing autism. So, Barry, what we were talking about, we had a little technical issue, but what we were talking about was how you are helping, in your book, you're helping parents and educators see autism differently, not looking at it as a, you know, a, a, a tragedy, even though it's difficult, but seeing it in a hopeful way. So share with us, talk about that. Talk about looking at it differently and where the hope is. Well, looking at it differently um, helps us see the strengths of many people with autism and not just the challenges. There's so much of a focus on the difficulties and the challenges. So certainly some people on the autism spectrum develop great abilities and great talents, but every person has relative strengths. And what we've learned is by focusing on interests and strengths, people with autism can find with our support, can find employment, can be successful or more successful in school, as opposed to just looking at behavior in autism and trying to make people with autism look quote-unquote normal. Um, So our approach is let's understand each individual as a developing human being, and let's not just try to focus on the symptoms of autism, even though we have to help people with autism with with some of those issues. But let's also focus on the strengths. Let's get them out in life with the right supports so they can learn from everyday activities with people in the mainstream. Hmm. And what are some of the, I don't know whether you'd call it, exercises or, or techniques that you would use with an autistic child Well, the first priority, which is supported by research and and by training, I'm a speech and language pathologist, is really helping people with autism to communicate effectively. So some people Mm -hmm. with autism are not able to speak due to associated Mm -hmm. issues, and they need to be able to use devices that help them speak. They're called speech-generating devices. Um, Many different ways of communicating can help people with autism be actively involved and engaged in life every day. But even for those people on the autism spectrum who are very verbal, we still can support them in understanding, oh, the routines of everyday typical conversation so they could be more desirable partners. Mm -hmm. But it's not just about changing them. It's about helping them to be more effective, to be able to express their observations and their feelings more effectively. Give us an example of that. Give us an example of a, like creating a positive emotional memory with a child who's autistic. Uh, a good example of that might be, let's say, in school. Um, if a child is having some difficulties with a particular area of academics, maybe it's mathematics. Now, if we know that child is very interested in cars or trains, how can we infuse that child's interest in a reading activity or a math activity so that that child is motivated to not only succeed but to stay connected with us. What happens too often is we set the agenda. We don't consider that person's interests and strengths. And very often people and kids with autism are really turned off by how we're trying to teach and what we're trying to teach them. Mm. And how do we always know what they love? Is it because they move in that direction, they pick it up, they play with it? Is that how we, we, we pick up the cues if they're not speaking? That, that's, that's a great question. And, and this is one of the themes of my book, uh, Uniquely Human, is that we have to really become good detectives, good observers, good listeners. 
Now, for kids and people with autism who are more verbal, you will know what they're interested in because they will talk to you about what they're interested in. But for non-speaking individuals, we might have to see what they're drawn to. Um, Are they drawn to particular kinds of sounds? Many uh, kids with autism are very drawn to music. Um, Some kids are very drawn to pictures and, and literally become very good at in art. So we have to really be good observers and see what keeps their attention. What do they seek out every day if they can't tell us what they're interested in? Yeah, I, I have read, and there was a book by John Campbell called The Mozart Effect that we to work with children with that autism, where um, Mozart's music has certain decibels per second, which actually calms the brain, and it's been used with uh, children who even have had trouble speaking. I'm sure you know about this. Um, it's called The Mozart Effect. Yes. So that kind of music really makes a difference. Yes, and, and there, there is some indication that particular kinds of music, especially some kinds of classical music, that are very rhythmic, again, that have a particular tempo and pace, as opposed to other music that might be you know, much too chaotic. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, right. I just observed a youngster this morning um, who really enjoys classical music, and even though he's not speaking fluently yet, you could hear him hum some of the melodies of, of uh, classical symphonies. Yeah, and many times it's Mozart. He was, he was one of the favorites of, of that kind of music. Yeah. Uh, so let's um, also, how, if you look at the nonverbal uh, children who are artistic versus verbal, what's the percentage vary? Um, well, it, it, it depends upon how you define verbal versus nonverbal. We used to think it was about 50-50. 50% mm-hmm. nonverbal, 50% verbal. But now with appropriate work and especially with the use of technology, there are many kids who we, even though they don't, they don't speak, we consider them verbal because they're able to communicate through devices, through computers, through devices that generate speech for them if they're not able to form the speech sounds in an intelligible way themselves. And that's huge for helping kids and people with autism with limited speech. Yeah. Now, we, before we um, had a little technical issue, we were talking about um, the mechanics of this, you know, whether it was in the brain or whether it was a motor function. So I guess my question is, if, if a child has autism and is speaking or isn't speaking, does their brain look different or is there, you know, are there sensory uh, areas that look different? Well, what, what we tend to see is very different individualized patterns. So there are some kids mm-hmm. with autism who don't speak, but receptively they understand a lot of what they hear, where there are kids with mm-hmm. autism who don't speak who have much more challenges in that area. And uh, mm-hmm. there are associated difficulties with autism that are kind of in addition to the autism. So again, some kids with autism who don't speak could be extremely intelligent, but they have difficulties in the motor areas of the brain, in forming the movements to make speech, almost similar to a person who's had a stroke and has lost the ability to speak after they had that stroke. Um, So there are all kinds of associated difficulties. So for example, some people with autism are very well coordinated motorically, and others have extreme difficulties with motor coordination in general. And as a matter of fact, Mm. in my book, we really emphasize the importance of individualized education, individualized treatment, because 
children with autism are as different from each other and people with autism are as different from each other mm-hmm. as I am from you. And unless we understand a child's strengths and their challenges and we plan individually for that person or that child, we're not going to be as effective as we might be otherwise. There's no one-size-fits-all treatment in autism. Mm-hmm. No. I'm curious about Asperger's. Is Asperger's similar to autism? Is it a part of autism? Yes, Asperger's um, syndrome was, up until about a year and a half ago, one of the subcategories under the general label of autistic spectrum disorder, autism spectrum disorder. There were five subcategories. In the new scheme put out by the American Psychiatric Association about a year and a half ago, all of the subcategories were gotten rid of. And so technically, Asperger's is no longer a diagnosis, but there's a very large group of people who embrace the term Asperger's, and what we're talking about in terms of differences is that people with Asperger's tend to have measured intelligence uh, within what is called so-called normal limits, tend to be quite verbal, um, quite intelligent, in some cases very, very talented people. Mm-hmm. And um, whether it's in science, music, art, computers, uh, and some people have referred to Asperger's as high-functioning autism. I don't like to use that term because people with Asperger's can have great challenges as well. Mm-hmm. But in terms of verbal skills and cognitive skills, we're talking about the higher end of the spectrum. Okay. How does a parent know if their child has autism, because sometimes, you know, behaviors can get confused. You know, in in your book, you talk about a lot of children will put things in their mouth or they'll chew or they'll lick things. But other children can do that that don't have, um, you know, this condition. So how do you know? There, There are very specific markers, and that's been one of the areas of great progress in the last few years in terms of what's called early identification. So, for example... If a child is, does not engage in what's called reciprocal interaction, from very early on, we should be seeing this by between 6 and 12 months of age, where a child takes turns vocalizing with you. If a child has very limited or no gestures, such as a point, um, such as a head nod or a head shake, we should see those all pretty firmly established by 18 months of age. Certainly one of the markers is a speech and language delay, but again, there could be speech and language delays in children who do not have autism. So there's a cluster that focuses around social communication and social interaction, which we can observe very, very early on in children, and those are early markers of autism. And on the internet, there are a number of checklists of what's called red flags or early markers for autism. One thing that's a little tricky, though, is about 30% of children with autism develop normally, and then they lose some of those skills and lose the social reciprocal interaction and communication. Um, And very often that happens between 12 and 24 months of age. Mm. So very young. Very young, yes. But but we, we feel that we should be identifying most kids certainly by one to two years of age and therefore start appropriate support for the family and intervention early on. One of the things you write in your book, which I think is really excellent, you have a chapter which which is called What It Takes to Get It. And then you list 
factors that parents, educators, who's ever dealing with an autistic child or individual, really, if they get it, they have these characteristics, like empathy, like yes. sensitivity, um, humor, flexibility. Talk about that. Talk about that, that it factor. Yes, the, the it factor, I actually learned from a mom up in Western Canada, and she spoke about how certain people really could connect with her son in, in an educational setting, where others made him more anxious and more stressed out. So one of the major, major changes we're trying to get across in Uniquely Human is that it's not so much about changing a child or a person with autism, that we need to change ourselves. We need to change the types of supports we put into place, and we need to change society's attitudes about the potential of people with yeah, autism. Yeah, but that's a hard one, Mary. How do you do that? You know, you're out in a crowd. There are people that haven't been exposed to this. They see behavior they're not used to, and they don't know what to do. How, how can we help them understand well, it, it, you know, with so much of our learning happening in childhood, it helps with good inclusion programs in schools. So we have a, a generation or two of students now, if they had friends with autism in their classes, they see autism very differently as they grow mm-hmm. up. So, mm-hmm. so that's already been changing. But it, it's through education. It's through public awareness. And one other thing I will, I'll say very clearly, it's really helping people understand that People with autism are uniquely human and in many cases have real strengths, can mm-hmm. really support growth in our society. Um, so there's a book um, a, a new colleague of mine uh, just came out with called Neurotribes um, and it's getting a lot of attention because he tracks autism back through hundreds of years mm-hmm. and talks about all the contributions in science and technology that were given example? to us by people give with autism. Yeah, give us a couple of examples of people with autism who have really made a difference. Oh, well, Temple Grandin, somebody that most people have heard of, she is one of the foremost designers of animal handling equipment. She's an animal scientist, and she's come up with all kinds of humane ways that animals should be handled um, on farms, um, in slaughterhouses even. And um, last I heard, about one-third of the animal handling facilities in the world now use her designs, which are much, much more humane in terms of raising animals. Um, Again, you mentioned Mozart. Some people feel that Mozart probably had Asperger's. Um, in terms of yeah, in terms of music and in art, there are very very well known scientists. Yeah, Sorry, my favorite composer, my favorite composer, and he was clearly a genius. Absolutely, a, tro- a troubled genius, <laughs> but, he, but you know that's what's so interesting is that you know someone like that can be troubled, but look at the contribution they're making to the world. Absolutely, and that happens when they've been able to develop their abilities and talents in a way that society values those abilities and talents. Um, So let me give you another quick example. I gave a talk at Google in Boston two weeks ago, Mm. and um, the person who invited me to give the talk, and by the way, the talk is on the Internet if people want to see it. um, um, it, It's on YouTube. Talks at Google, Uniquely Human. All right. And uh, the person who invited me after he was walking me downstairs And he said, you know, not only does this help my understanding, but it helps a lot of the people who attended your talk because we have a lot of undiagnosed people on the spectrum working at Google. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. And and let's look at that for a minute. So if they were undiagnosed, 
What might be some of their characteristics, Barry? Um, one characteristic, especially if they're in the mainstream and they're succeeding, is right. they have a specific interest, ability, or talent that allows them to focus successfully in employment settings. They may not be so interested in schmoozing with other people right. and spending a lot of time in idle chit-chat. They might be much, much more focused on their work. And in mm. some cases, they may engage in behavior socially, unfortunately, that could be a little bit off-putting to other people, such as always talking about what they're interested in, for example. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not understanding social habits. Exactly, not not understanding social nuance, social habits. But on the other hand, some of the very positive things you see in people who have those characteristics is they tend to be incredibly honest and very direct. Um, We we don't get the layers of deceit and social kind of hiding. um, They may blurt it out, though. They may blurt it out. It may not come out so pretty. (laughs) Right. But it's, it's what they really feel. Yes, exactly. Kind of like a child, right? Like a little kid who goes, I don't like that. <laughs> kind of like a child and also kind of like some cultures. I grew up in Brooklyn. So I understand a lot of people on the autism spectrum because people from Brooklyn tend to be very direct and express yeah. their opinion, you know, with, uh, by being honest and not caring so much whether I hurt your feelings a little bit. Yeah. Fascinating. Barry, what would you like to leave our listeners with? If, if our listeners get one thing out of this interview today uh, from your book, Uniquely Human, A Different Way of Seeing Autism, what, what's your message? My message is if we look at people with autism as uniquely human and not as tragic figures, and if we look at the experience of autism in the lives of families, not as this terrible tragedy where families need to be pitied and Therefore, we provide the appropriate understanding and the appropriate supports to children, adults with autism, and families. It betters us all as people. It makes us better people mm. and makes us a much more understanding society. Yeah, that's wonderful. How can people find your book and also the YouTube talk that you mentioned that you just did at Google? Um, the book is now being featured in Barnes & Noble stores. It's on Amazon, many, many different outlets. Simon & Schuster is my publisher. Um, and there are a number of talks that I've given on my book that are now on the Internet. I mentioned the talk at Google, which was just from a couple of weeks ago. Um, or they can go to my website, which is simply my name, barrypresant.com, for up- upcoming presentations and other events. Okay. And again, the book is Uniquely Human, A Different Way of Seeing Autism. And before we go, we have about a minute left. So... What got you interested in this, Barry? Was it a personal experience? Was it your field of work? What got you so passionate about this? Um, My passion started as a teenager working in residential summer camps for people with disabilities. Mm. I then steered my college programming towards um, communication and speech and language pathology. So I actually, I've been in this for 46 years, and it's had such a positive impact on my life in so many ways. And I want to share that excitement to people who may want to go into fields that help people with autism and other disabilities. Thank you so much for being on the program. It was really special and, and, and positive and uplifting. Thank you so much, Patricia. All right, stay on the line for a minute. Barry Prezant. Uniquely Human is the name of the book, A Different Way of Seeing Autism, and you definitely can go on to Barnes & Noble. It's a brand new book, and uh, there's also a talk on Google 
um, about uniquely human. All right, you're listening to the Patricia Raskin Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Stay tuned. Our second guest is up next right after the break. We'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.